You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hi there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, I'm going to talk to a lady called Sarah Thompson. And, well, I'm going to let Sarah introduce herself. Here's Sarah. I'm Sarah Thompson. I'm a certified body trust advocate, consultant, trainer, and eating disorder recovery coach in Portland, Oregon, transplanted from uh, Cleveland, Akron, Ohio. We talk about a lot of things in this podcast. I'd say that the general theme, though, is weight stigma and eating disorder treatment. And actually, that brings us to the first question that I asked Sarah, which was, if she could change one thing about the the field that I guess we both work in, which is the eating disorder community and the treatment community, um, what would she change? And so this was her answer. Weight stigma and eating disorder treatment needs to change a lot more than it has. So you, you, you recognize it has changed, so that's... I mean, I haven't been around for very long, at least in the treatment community. Um, so I hear that from people that have been in the community for a while. How have you wound up sort of circling <laughs> in that community? My story is such a, I feel like such a long and twisty story that I, until I started working with the therapist that I have now, who I've been working with for almost two years, um, I never fully recognized that I actually had an eating disorder. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so my frame of reference for an extremely long time was only through Overeaters Anonymous and the addiction model of recovery for eating disorders. Okay. And so, and I, and I probably shouldn't even say for eating disorders because when I was in OA, it was never framed as an eating disorder. It was framed as compulsive eating or food addiction that's, I think that's part of the reason why I always thought that it was just a part of, you know, having an addictive personality and struggling with addiction and it wasn't an eating disorder. And so it took me recovering to actually recognize that I had an eating disorder and to feel like I belonged in that realm of um, eating disorder treatment or that I had some connection to that, the field. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, I think that that's true for many people as well who Mm -hmm. do not present as the stereotype of what a person with an eating disorder is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard because the way that eating disorder treatment looks like, at least the way that it's framed on a lot of treatment center websites, on information, you know, awareness pages, everything's separate. Like, you're either anorexic or bulimic or orthorexic or 
binge, you have binge eating disorder. And I don't feel like many people talk about what if you experience all of it or what if it morphs from one to another or, you know, so I feel like it's like people want to fit someone's behavior into a box and I also don't think that my the way that I experienced my eating disorder fit in a box and um and on top of that I continued to think that it was actually my size that was the problem and not my eating behaviors and do you think that that notion was supported um, in treatment? I would say that that was my experience of Overeaters Anonymous, yes. And in some of my, in some of my therapy, yes. Yeah, the, your size was the problem. Um, yeah. I think that, well, you know, you talk, talked about the sort of the categories of your own anorexia or bulimia or binge mm-hmm. eating disorder. I think that a lot of the time when people are put into those categories, if they're not put in the category of um, anorexia or anorexic, I hate the word mm-hmm. anorexic, but anyway, if they're not put in that category, right. then restriction is not looked at and it's not, it's assumed that that person yeah. isn't restricting. Yeah. And one thing that I think is that that molds or binds all of those categories together a lot of the time is the presence of restriction mm-hmm. and unless you're in a stereotypically smaller body restriction is often is often not assumed to be the case absolutely um i still even after reading the minnesota starvation studies a lot or not necessarily a lot, but like reading it over and over again. And it discusses, you know, what they classified as semi-starvation in the study. Even after looking at that, I still have a hard time looking back and thinking that I was restricting when I was on whatever diet or whatever, um, clean eating, uh, you know, I I really thought that I had to restrict in order to not binge. And, and most of the time I was always, that was what I, you know, that was the solution that I was given was that you need to restrict to, to not binge, which just sets you up for more binging and more restriction <laughs> because you don't think you're doing it right or you don't think that you're doing it good enough. And so you just have to do it more and better. Yeah, And that just kept me stuck in my eating disorder for like a really long time. Yeah. And this comes back to, I think, what's something that many of us feel is a problem with eating disorder treatment is the treatment serves the eating disorder more than it serves the individual a lot of the time. I Yeah, I think that's true in a lot of cases. Treatment telling you to exercise more and eat less which is Mm -hmm. basically restriction and treatment telling you to suppress your body weight, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is basically what an eating disorder tells you. Right. Right. And there is, they use that like focusing on weight restoration or, um, 
you know, tracking somebody's weight while they're in treatment um, as a way, as a tool to also adjust somebody's food intake and exercise. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) uh, typically that's not like to increase it (laughs) Um, unless you are recognized to be underweight. Being queer was also one of the ways that I never saw myself as identifying with an eating disorder. I think it had an effect on that. Interesting. Why do you think that Um, was? Because everybody that I ever saw in like documentaries or awareness um, information, you know, about eating disorders, any of the images that I saw, not only were they thin people, but none of them, not that you have to look queer, but none of them, nobody ever talked about their sexuality or it always appeared as if everyone was straight. Right. Um, And so I think it gives this like idea that if you, I'm sure there's a name for it, but if you don't see yourself in the way something is identified, then, then your the reflection is, is that you're going to not feel like it belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, and I don't think that I, yeah, it was, uh, I don't think that I, that has really been addressed probably until the last several years either. Yeah, I um, agree. And I still think the resources are really minimal. It's really, really true. And treatment for people that are that are genderqueer or trans or, um, you know, on that spectrum are extremely limited, um, especially if you want something inpatient or um, intensive. Um, so it's actually one of the things that I've been working on, um, one of my friends who's a psychotherapist in Portland and I, his name is Isaiah. We are going to be running an in-person group for queer people only for nine weeks, starting on April 26th. And, um, from that I'm now, um, in the process of planning a, a free, uh, support group that would meet, um, through a zoom video conference, um, just to, just to be a place for queer people to talk and, um, discuss and connect and it wouldn't be structured. It wouldn't like have a certain curriculum or anything like the in-person group that we're doing. Um, but I really think that, it's important and I don't think anything like it exists yet. Right. And so, um, I think it's super valuable and I think that it's, I mean, it's worth giving my time for that because, um, it's incredibly healing to be in a space with other people who have had similar experiences to you. Um, and talking about food and body, especially when that's so connected to, our identity, mm-hmm. our sexuality and gender and how much crossover there is with that and, and 
food and so in light of all of that how, mm-hmm. how how do how do you recover in that environment i was extremely lucky and i found a program in portland oregon uh through be nourished that recognizes that all of the stuff that we just talked about is bs and does approach recovery from a weight inclusive um body trust health at every size approach Mm -hmm. um and for me that that was that was the key um there are there are some programs um, that are able to do that for residential or partial or IOP in the US, but it's very, very limited. Very limited. And so what did that program teach you? And what did mm-hmm. it help you do? When I went to their retreat, I had already been following a lot of body positive um, people on social media. And so I was aware of this idea that my health was not connected to my size. Um, And I was able to see people embracing the way the size that they were without wanting to change their body size. Um, And so when I went, it was really amazing because it was the first time I had ever heard anybody in person talk about it and talk about how ridiculous it was that our bodies were, were set up in our society to become this project that we have to fix and um, being able to hear the way that they laid everything out with um, connecting this like body project and this never ending cycle of deciding that you have to fix your body to like implementing that failing and then thinking that you have to start all over again. Um, and just continuing in that cycle connected with like how patriarchy and capitalism have extremely shaped what we think about our bodies to get us to continue paying all of this money to change our bodies, which is pretty much always done through food and exercise. So making all of those connections on top of um, knowing that I had tried, like I feel like I had tried almost everything <laughs> like in my, in my lifespan. And so to be presented with this option for like, learning how to trust my body and to practice trusting my body 
um, and to like somehow learn how to become friends with my body and to treat my relationship with my body as like almost a, a two way street. Like Mm -hmm. I have to learn how to mentally trust my body and then my body physically has to like learn that it can trust me to give it what it needs. Yes. (laughs) Because everything else of course is telling you, you can't trust that your body says it wants more food. You know, you can't trust that this, that, which is just, if you think about it logically is completely ludicrous. Like because your body is your body. It knows what it needs. And it's, it's actually innocent. It doesn't have any hidden agenda other than health and trying to survive. Because that's what right. bodies are. And homeostasis, right? Like biology, science. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to hear people talk about trust your body and this, that, and the other, and I, I just would sort of write it off as a like, oh, that's just kind of mushy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really. I don't think I really understood what that meant, which mm-hmm. is just actually realized that that means I don't have to micromanage it. And I, right. I could just let it get on with being a body and, and doing what it was designed to do. When you were presented with, initially presented with that information, did you think that that was something that was possible for you to do? Or did it just seem like, a, I don't even know how to begin to understand hmm. how to do that? I think for a really long time, because I was in OA for so long, I, like, I think I was in OA for a total of 15 years. I very much believed for a long time that I couldn't trust my body, that that was like what was wrong with me, was that the the first thing that my brain told me to do was the wrong thing. And so that was the purpose of like being abstinent, aka for me being restrictive. I for a very long time didn't think that I was supposed to trust my body because like there was a malfunction. <laughs> with me with my with my body or my brain and but I eventually I started well I eventually started questioning that and then I left and then I started following these people on social media so I wanted to believe it I really I wanted to believe it but I had no idea how to do it and so I feel like when I was finally able to be in this room on this retreat with 12 other women being taught by two women who practiced this for themselves, had worked with many people before me on how to do this for themselves. I was so ready to hear what they had to say that I think that once I was in this room and presented with you know, all of the information for their body trust wellness um, paradigm, I was, I was totally, like, I, it was the perfect timing for Mm me. Right. You pretty much exhausted all other Mm -hmm. routes. And I think, I think that's true for many of us. You find yourself in the right time and space to be able to actually listen to the things that you might not have been able to before. Okay. So then moving on from that, in a nutshell, how did, how did that change well, anything for you, I guess? I feel, I feel like it changed everything. I remember going to the retreat in clothes that were my, like, I want to hide my body. I feel ashamed 
want to hide clothes and was so defeated and was so down you know like I I kind of felt like I have no idea what I'm getting myself into but I hope that it's it's something different and I was able to go out to dinner with people from the program who had been practicing these things for longer than I had, were kind of mainly going to the retreat to meet other people who were on the same path. It changed, like, it changed everything between what we talked about that night and then going out to dinner and talking with people afterwards. It, I feel like it completely changed. And the next day I showed up in clothes that were not only just comfortable, but like I felt good in that I wasn't worried about hiding my body. I think even like I was wearing a top that was like lime green and blue striped. And so I just, I ate up the whole, like the whole rest of the weekend. (laughs) Ate it all up. (laughs) Literally everything changed. I stopped binging. I was able to start eating without all of this anxiety and without um obsessing or thinking that like there was never going to be enough or um you know actually being curious about what I enjoyed eating being more into like listening to my body instead of just completely cutting myself off from it like actually valuing my body and not hating it every single time I looked in the mirror I went out and bought new clothes the next couple days after the retreat, because I had a friend in town that was visiting, like got clothes that I probably would have never bought before that retreat. I think so much of my anxiety and depression went down once I was able to have a different relationship to food. And that's it, continued. It was, yeah. <laughs> it, everything changed, I feel like. And now you're fully immersed in this world, I guess. It's pretty true. Um, what was it? Like three months after three months after I did that retreat with Be Nourished, I signed up for their very first cohort of body trust certification for providers because I was so uh, it, like I just felt it in my bones that I had to do it. Um, and I believed so much in it and I wanted to be able to share it with other people. And at the time I was in school for acupuncture and Chinese herbalism. And my plan was to incorporate the body trust paradigm into my work as an acupuncturist. Big thank you to Sarah Thompson for talking to me today. I'll link to Sarah's website in the show notes. And I'll also link to the Be Nourished website that she talked about that retreat that she went on. So in today's discussion, we discussed that, yes, you can have an eating disorder in any size body. You can be restricting in any size body. And also we talked about you can have an eating disorder and be queer. Who would have thought? So while these things, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, these things might seem super obvious to you, but I I don't think that the general perception is there yet. So sharing stories and talking about these things is really important and being open, and which is why I'm so thankful to Sarah and actually everybody else this year that has been on this podcast and shared recovery stories with me. 
If you have something that you think you want to add to this conversation, then please do email me at info at or you can tweet at me as well. I'd love to talk to you. Cheers and until next time, cheerio.